0: Welcome to this week's episode of From the Lighthouse. Today I'm joined in the studio by Associate Professor Jane Messer and we're here to talk about Ursula Le Guin's short story "Sir."
1: Today's story, this week's story, is the uh, Ursula K Le Guin story Sur, a summary report of the Yelcho expedition into the Antarctic 1909 to 1910 which of course was a period of in the in the turn of the century of you know a great deal of um sometimes fatal expeditions to the antarctic um just a little bit of history as to why i chose this story and found it so fascinating when um apart from having been an Ursula K Le Guin fan for some years Uh, when I was at primary school, we had one of Scott's sleds, his actual sled on the wall in our hall, you know, our school hall. And every, of course, every assembly and every event, I was always looking at that sled. What I loved about the story is how it captures this such foreign, wondrous setting and... You know, she's a science fiction writer and in, and you would read this story thinking, Oh, hang on. Yes, it's fictional history, but it's a real setting. But it's a setting in a sense that is a kind of science fiction because it's so foreign, uh, you know, to, to us nor in our, in our normal lives of the southern hemisphere. Look, I mean,
0: What I loved about the story was the way Le Guin did that feminist reimagining of the typical male overreaching story where it's all pride and and, and hubris and, you know, the desire to leave your mark on the world. Um, And, you know, I think in the accompanying reading, she makes such fun of the sort of the... the orgasmic structure of of the short story where it's all about reaching the climax and then there's nothing left. Um, Whereas she does through creating this really sort of finely tuned voice manage to sustain the attention of the reader from, you know, beginning to end of what is quite a lengthy short story uh, without really requiring any sort of significant, uh, significant climactic events, uh, there is, you know, sort of, it's, it is, as she said in, the, in the accompanying reading, sort of almost the anticlimax of a group of women deciding not to leave their mark on the place, on the world, and really out of deference for the men who might then not be able to cope <laughs> with the fact that they get there, I mean, to find that a group of women beat them to it, and, you know, the shattering, uh, effect that might have on future explorers egos god forbid um so so there was that lovely ironic control of the narrative and the awareness all the way through that she was stringing us along not through you know sort of the promise of this um even though it is a remarkable story um, but not through the idea that, uh, you know, sort of, I guess, uncovering something or conquering something um, was actually going to be the point of the story. And I think that's what made it tremendously exciting to read and, and also really powerful. Um, and an example of the way that you can use that um, sort of traditional structure of the short story with that, um, you know, Freytag's pyramid and then turn it upside down by creating a different type of tension to maintain the reader's interest. And I think all of that takes such skill.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, there's an implicit tension, I think, throughout um, the, the, the tale, which she says, though, she undercuts, because, of course, from the start we know that she and a number of the other women survive, because she expresses that quite early on. She says very clearly that she didn't want that, um traditional uh story where the the outcome is being withheld and you keep turning the page to find out what will happen and and you know what yeah what is the climax going to be and so on and so forth. And the implicit tension comes though, I guess, from the many sort of layers of detailing that she weaves through and she really knows her subject well from the the situation of the women um themselves to i I just love details like about the way that they prepared their food and of course one of the foods that they that they prepare has a combination of a very of a berry a dried berry that has a lot of vitamin c as well as the protein from the meat and some sort of grain the pemmican p-e-m-m-i-c-a-n um and and so you think, well, of course they survived better than the the other explorers because being south from South America and having this different kind of diet and having prepared the, this you know very nutritious food, you know, they they survive a lot better.
0: And and you know it was where you could see that they were actually bringing their you know sort of I guess their their practical learned skills from you know sort of I guess it, it, you you almost got that feeling of almost an evolutionary ability to know how to nurture and nourish that you know the men were just lacking so you know sort of, not only did they come up with nutritional food but they came up with light food and they thought about it and you know they thought well you we don't want to you know just get whatever explorers are using and buying some sort of scientifically produced food no we'll go to you know sort of a, a south american an ancient south american tradition of preparing the potato and you know sort of this city yeah, yeah. hope um that was, that is just sort of good planning it's, it's good housekeeping in a sense and and i think that was the lovely thing that you saw was there wasn't an effort to make these women into um you know sort of i guess Uh, I guess, raging anti-feminist figures who, you know, didn't know how to cook and didn't know how to have babies and didn't know how to do this but, you know, were fighters like an Angelina Jolie sort of thing. (laughs) You know, instead of that, there was this real knowledge that there was this wisdom and this exceptionality that the women brought to the expedition that was actually based on those traditional gender roles um, and I thought her ability to bring that to bear into this story was really exceptional. And I mean, because, uh, you know, that epistolary uh, sort of novel or short story can be such a cliche when done badly. And and I think that the difference between, you know, sort of a writer who, as you say, has done this enormous, um, you know, sort of meditation upon what it might be like to have done that sort of exploring to, at that particular point in history, has done the research, the reading, um, you know, sort of really lived with that idea for some period of time, enough to digest it and then bring it in this lovely sort of distilled form for a reader, you know, that's that's when you feel the pleasure in the epistolary sort of novel, that's when you feel the pleasure in that sort of Expedition that imagined expedition.
1: Well, live, I think she lived Constantly lifts that epistolary form that the report that the letter to her grandchildren or other grandchildren that she she um, Frames it with at right at the start But she interrupts or not interrupts But she modulates that with some profound understandings and wisdoms for instance um, When they've been to um, the, the uh, Morton's hut, and it's just a mess. you know they hadn't even closed the the, the, tea, the lid of the tea um, caddy. Um, and she says all the same, they could have closed the tea tin, but housekeeping, the art of the infinite, is no game for amateurs and, it, and it's the fact that these women who are housekeepers, you know their mothers, their wives, their you know wives to be and so on. Have been trained in housekeeping and in the management of households, and so they have applied themselves very carefully. And then they do that wonderful job um, uh, of building their own Buenos Aires under the under the ice, and it's so it's so methodical and um, and so communal. They're quite socialist, really, which is also um, you know they're, 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 there's no hierarchy. Um, amongst them, and they, you know, they discuss how they do not want a leader who might become become frail of mind or or a dictator. And so well, there's even that moment where they say, "We are crew," you know. So there is
0: that. Um, reclaiming of the idea because you know so, sort of the tradition in literature is that the story will follow you know the captain the leader of the expedition you know this is this is the story that matters and once again she sort of reclaimed and reversed that hierarchy to to I guess embrace the notion of we are crew and we didn't need you know even in the case of emergency for that uh, you know sort of that top down uh, structure uh, and yes, of course we bickered. You know, there was no attempt to see make it seem as though it was a utopia. They they were arguing along the way. They had disagreements, um, but they they expected, anticipated, and yeah. you know, sort of didn't find that the art of disagreeing was a problem. You know, it wasn't Absolutely something not. to be avoided. You were allowed, I loved, I loved the fact that they were allowed to complain. <laughs> yes. I, just, I just thought, yes, yes, for the good grouch and whinge and, and letting off steam and, and saying how shoddy it all was. And, you know, that I thought was, and that was the insight because she realised those uh, you know, sort of those aspects that had been excluded from traditional narratives and, you know, sort of traditional ideas of what an ideal expedition might look like. And she introduced them and she made them integral to the story and she made them funny and lighthearted and yet, as you say, wise, so wise um, that it, it just it, it transformed the narrative and meant that, all the way through, even without those major dramatic events of, say, you know, um, I guess reaching the pole or, or being savaged by this, or although there was the savaging wind. But, you know, sort of on the whole, it was the fact that all the way through the reader was rewarded with these little insights and this sense of, you know, sort of being carried along by a great sort of consciousness that we really wanted to get to the end of the journey with, not because we needed her to do something incredible like stake a flag in a spot, but actually just bring us, uh, I guess, what she gained, what she gleaned from that experience.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, it is, the, it is very much as Le Guin says in the interview, but you, you get this strong sense of it in the, in the reading of the story of before but it's the journey, it is literally with no, you know, metaphors intended. It's the journey, it's the process, it's the planning, it's the day by day, it's the endurance, it's the grumbling, the the, the amazement that they're there, and the, the sense of accomplishment. And I, I just loved that way that when they do reach the pole on uh, the 22nd of December 1909, the South Pole, it's so understated. Uh, she, You know, the weather was, as always, very cruel. She's so matter-of-fact about the fact that this is incredibly arduous, um, what they're doing. Nothing of any kind marked the dreary whiteness. We discussed leaving some kind of mark or monument, a snow can, a tent pole and flag but there seemed seem no particular reason to do so.
0: But I think it's also that idea, again, that it's the journey itself. It's not the adulation. It's not the praise. It's not the recognition. It's not all of the reasons that, you know, sort of things seem to have been done or have been memorialised. It's, it's actually for the experience itself. That and, and in a sense that it is enough that these women among themselves have known what they've done. Um, you know, And
1: that, I think, is very powerful. Yeah, and she, gets, and she returns to that again. I guess with when when Teresa has the baby, and you know that, that, that there doesn't need to be amazement that she's done this because yes, it was awkward circumstances being. In they were
0: annoyed. They were actually annoyed with Teresa. I mean, how could, how could you come along pregnant, you know? <laughs> she was excused because she didn't know. She was ignorant. Nobody told her about, you know, sort of the facts of life. And, and... and this convent girl had
1: no idea, absolutely none. And, the youth,
0: you know, the youth, she's so young.
1: If Teresa had died in childbirth or postpartum, which certainly, you know, could easily have happened, um... That's just kind of what what happened to a lot of women, and so even if the story had taken that direction and they would have grieved, it wouldn't have been a blame
0: sort of point the finger or you know
1: what was she doing. It was it was really drawing it into the fabric, nor nor even the, the a tragic consequence. The story kind of informs you so much about the culture of the time, but in in terms that are so not didactic. Um, and yeah, just, just nudging, nudging you along into this way of thinking. And I, I think the other thing is,
0: you know, it's the way that, I, and I only know this because my brother was a bit obsessed with Shackleton for a while, but I believe that there are long sections dealing with what it's like to lose your toes during frost, frostbite. And that this is just me going off what my brother told me, um, because as I mentioned to you, I actually don't like snow <laughs> narratives or, or expeditions or anything like that. But I, I still, I still, um, you know, sort of loved sie. But, um, you know, we don't actually discover that they were losing bits of their toes until, you know, a comment made by the future daughter who says, oh, your toes nibbled by, you know, some dogs. Yeah. What happened to your toes? Um, and so there's this wonderful sort of, um, you know, exploration of, uh, I guess, stoicism, you know, and, and women's ability not to make a yeah.
1: fuss. The narrator says um, on page 187, um, I look back with regret only to those friends who wished to come with us but could not. And of course, she knows she's lost her toes, but of course, she's writing the report. By any contrivers, they couldn't get free. Those we had to leave behind to a life without danger, without uncertainty, and without hope. And 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 the way that she draws together danger and uncertainty give you hope. I I, I just just sent shivers up my spine. And I think that's when you know that a story has been
0: so deeply imagined, you realise that she hasn't underestimated the extent of what that was like for women. You know, in in that single sentence, with that single um, sweep of the pen, she's actually uh, sort of acknowledged, uh, 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 I guess, you know, an an epoch of oppression, hasn't she? Yes, um, in, in, and that is, that, is, that is the mark of a true writer, isn't it? Um, mm. that, that is a beautiful moment.
1: One thing I found really interesting, which was here, was, here were these women from countries that have been the most invaded, yes. the most explored, conquered, um, colonised, um, now then actually taking this journey, which themselves, where they're not conquering the land, they're not leaving their mark, they're not being imperialistic. They're going there out of curiosity and and with this sort of amazing kind of preparation and respect and, and awe, and, and not,
0: they not even leaving the footprints. That, so it's not even the damage to the ground of the footprints was you know sort of that that final you know was was that that final note that we ended on and and I th- and I think that was another reason why that nod to the idea of the additional suns, draws attention to the way that even the skies are mapped and ordered according to solar systems and boundaries and, you know, sort of that, that boundary. And, of course, we only see one sun, but, you know, the, the, the fact that these women, because it's interesting that she was thoughtful enough to amass a group of women from different places because, you know, logically speaking, I think the story, it would have made more sense if she just sort of asked a mother's group, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the immediate people around her to come with me on this amazing expedition and, and we never it's never really explained how she might have this network, this wide network of women um, you know some whom, of whom are 20, some are you know, religious or, or whatever and, and so I think that there is this real consciousness that you know sort of there is that very uh, sort of definite uh, violence and oppressive force to the expedition. The explorer, um, you know, so often the white male explorer, and and I think that she's so um, she's so she does it so subtly, so strategically, but in no way does she do it in a trivial way you know there's no there's no way that you could say that she's trivializing the fact that men have gone forth and conquered nations and uh, oppressed other people and uh, you know sort of exploited etc she doesn't under she doesn't underplay the significance of that but she also manages to work it into the fabric of the story so that it doesn't feel too loud it doesn't feel didactic it no. doesn't Feel any Matter of, of the It's it's worked into the fabric of the of, of the narrative in such a way that no element is overpowering another element, and yet it's also not, um, you know, sort of because it it's, it would it would be a terrible thing to, to diminish or refuse to acknowledge the 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 real violence of so many of the explorer narratives.
1: Mm. Oh, absolutely! I mean that 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 it. <laughs> She, I mean, she draws attention to the gendered nature of the exploration and their need for, you know, um, dis- to be discreet. But she doesn't draw attention to the nas- their nationality and their difference to the British um, explorers and, and the European explorers. And yet, and yet, it's very uh, it's very important to to the story to imagine those spanish-speaking iberian women you know there uh and she could just as easily have made them british or american women and yet yet she hasn't so clearly a conquest
0: a of South America, you know, because you know the the brutality of you know sort of Spanish conquest of of, of South America. Yeah. Um, so it's a very it's a very pointed, um, you know, sort of selection in terms of those the the nationality of those women. I mean, she treats nationality and cities with with great specificity in in this story.
1: Yes. 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 She does. And then apologises for portraying <laughs> one of one of the small, I can't remember which one it is, remember the interview, she says, oh, I, it's not as ratty as I described it. I've been there now. For me, I kind of afterwards, I thought, yes, imagine a history where, well, we can imagine a history where, where women did all, went on all sorts of adventures which, where, where they'd left no trace. It's not that they didn't go on. Them, but imagine where they, if they did and they didn't for whatever reason at the time, they left no trace, but actually they've already been there, which is a very cheeky, very cheeky suggestion that, Cheek. that, she, that she makes there about um, women's history and hidden histories. And, and she does it so lightly because it's a conceit, isn't it?
0: You know, I mean, in a, in a sense, we've got this idea of you know, sort of the, the narrator who pens her story, not so that the world might know it, but so, you know, some grandchild or, or some person, you know, sort of something around her attic might have a little bit of, um, you know, sort of a surprise factor at discovering just what Gran did, you know. So, so there's this sort of humble enterprise and, and yet, of course, you know, sort of the the, the, the very nature of, of the story is that it is being read, you know, and and, and, and so you, you've got this really astute, um I, I guess this really astute uh, deployment of, of the, the the sort of the the conceit and the techniques of, of, of fiction, whereby we get these lovely sort of layers and and, and sort of um, I guess almost paratexts uh, escaping from this, this this conceit of the woman who's writing into the writing into the attic, you know, sort of for. for... Actually, I
1: think there's traces of the Gothic really there because you've got. You know, you've got the, the, the potential of the manuscript discovered in the in the old box in in the attic. Um, you have the for, you know the formidable, right um, um, you, you and the, ghost, the ghosts as it were of the, the the dead male explorers. You know, not not really haunting them, but as presence having a presence in their in their um, adventure and their expedition.
0: But, but also you can't read it without, uh, you know, sort of the, 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 the shadow of Frankenstein either and, and, you know, sort of Mary Shelley's um, yes. you know, structure of the letters sent um, to the sister
1: Mm. Yes. And
0: the you know, sort of the way, the Arctic wastelands, which is the last place that you see the monster and, you know, the, the whole expedition of, um, you know, sort of the, I can't think of the boat of Walton. I think it's Walton as he makes his way um, to try and cut a path through the, it's actually the North Pole, I think in the case of um, Shelley, but, you know, so, so she does, she's got this tremendous ability, I think, to, to draw on, you know, sort of a, a literary heritage Uh, and 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 sort of uh, make it uh, ignite on the page so that it's not sort of a mere uh you know sort of look I'm being intertextual here or I'm doing this or doing that but so it actually so the fire the the story itself catches light on on these sorts of um moments and uh, yeah I mean it, it is one of those stories that has this very powerful afterlife, isn't it? Because as you say, as soon as you talked about uh, Buenos Aires under the, the snow and that image of the woman, um, I can't remember which one, uh, who was building her ice sculptures that yes. still it, be there uh, under a glass ceiling. I know. I ceiling.
1: I mean, that... It was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. Just, and, yeah, and and, and, and visible, invisible forever invisible and just afterwards snowdrifts and ice will just form over over what they built and and it's there but you know lost to history um, forever i'm just with when she's if we can turn to the interview what did you think of of that desire not to look back and and analyze one's own process but to leave it with some mystery for me I kind of thought um yes of course because why you don't need to Ursula you know you don't need to because you're so magnificent as a writer you can just move on to the next project and look forward to that challenge um for lesser mortals I think you know and that looking back and analysis can be really really helpful she really resists um analyzing the story and says so she you know she she knows you know she wasn't visited via voice but the narrator had a very strong presence and kind of as it were you know narrated the story for her I think there's a couple of things
0: there because you know if you taking that in isolation from the rest of the interview, um, you know, you could run with that and say, well, this whole writing business is a very mystical experience and, and Ursula just channels these voices. But that's only if you take that part in isolation because you also can't ignore the fact that, you know, she's very clear about the amount of reading that she did about this whole, um, you know, her, that she virtually had an obsession with, with with Shackleton and the Explorers and things. And so, you know, of course, somebody who, first of all, has, um, you know, sort of a tremendous uh, thirst for knowledge and reading and a tremendous love of literature and of languages because, you know, she speaks mm. the number of languages that she she learnt and, you know, sort of, uh, and she talks about you know, the relationship she had with literature... So we're not talking about somebody who has, you know, sort of rocked up out of high school and said, I'm going to be a writer. We're talking about somebody who has, um, you know, sort of may not have done the direct, perhaps, um, you know, sort of creative writing training, but has done an immense amount of knowledge building and experience building, and who already clearly had a, a sort of a wisdom gained from, you know, presumably life experience. And so I think what she does talk about is the importance of listening to the story that you have on the page and what it needs in order to be fully mm-hmm. realised. And, and I think that is something that's that's um, that she's really tapped into because you can start with all sorts of intentions for your story, but every writer knows that at some point you have to start listening to what's going on in the page so that you're crafting to the story that's actually bear in you know sort of black and white as opposed to the one that you're determined to write because otherwise it's it's not going to be fully realized and that backwards yeah. and forwards process but then I think also she's very wise and there's no doubt she's read um you know Oscar Wilde um the critics are, you know artist as critic and th- that's very much you know sort of what she's talking about and I think is so essential because whereas when everyone else talks about what a story does, there is that element of uh, the, the artist, you know, there is that element of the, the, the critic as artist using their imagination and skills in order to talk about a piece of writing. When an author does that, it's not the same because what they say becomes very literal. And I think that's what she's keyed into, that there's almost an impossibility for an author to talk about their story without nailing it dead. Because you know, if she said, "Well, that was supposed to mean this." Then a little part of me would die. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that—that that lovely, um, you know, sort of open possibility of what stories mean and the indeterminability of it. I guess magnifies the effect of the story. And. Too often, I think, writers, um, you know, sort of weigh in on things where ultimately they end up reducing the effect of their, their stories. And, and so I think, you know, she didn't say, well, I just sit down and, you know, I'm inspired, like it's a keen sort of moment where I'm just, you know, like 14 days of transcribing what's coming at me. You know, th- there is this great wealth of knowledge. There is this person who has dedicated a great deal of their life to the, to the art of writing And um, the decision not to weigh in on, you know, sort of various interpretations of the story or, you know, sort of the degree to which she controlled that story, I I think is just another example of the wisdom. It is quite important, I think, just the degree to which, you know, that is a fully realised world. It's not some half-assed story where somebody's just gone, I want to write about this and written it. Jane, this story, I think, is is just exemplary of, uh, you know, sort of bringing together the, ele- the, the elements that are just so um, vital to both, uh, I guess, historical fiction, uh, science fiction, uh, you know, sort of the, 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 the epistolary form. Uh, and, and I think because it is so often one of those uh, genres that, that students want to write and they want to write well, um, I, I think it's a great story to come back to in, in order to look to see what it is that makes these stories great uh, in terms of Le Guin's ability to tap into really rich sort of human concerns, her ability to bring together the, the sort of the detail and the metaphoric detail that makes this, the, the, the situation and the setting so vivid. Uh, in the mind of, of of the reader, and and the amount of details like the the, 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 the food supplies, the, the 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 careful charting of the time, the voyage, uh, you know, sort of the the, the the practicalities of how this might have happened if it were so, um, and that's the mark of good fiction, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is, and I think on that note that it's it is a fabulous work of imagination by a writer.
0: Thank you, Jane, thank you, Jane, for selecting it. <laughs>
1: Well, I just knew how much you don't like snow and it's cold expeditions or history novels. It's
0: the old shebang. <laughs> and yet, I did love that. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, if if there if there are others among if, if if you would like to read a bit more about cold places um, in historical fiction, I think Sigurd uh the Karen Lavren's Data trilogy. There's lots of trickling icy creeks and thin You're coats cool. You're of spurs uh, that you can't put on because they're <laughs> stiff with frost. And I like, just
0: want my fortitude to get through this. <laughs> don't, don't keep on. <laughs> I am not going to suddenly start enjoying uh, snowstorms, Jane, not not in literature, not in real life. <laughs> no, can the next story be tropical, please?
1: Okay, promise the next story will be (laughs) droppable. thank you for joining us at from
0: the lighthouse please remember to like us at itunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and to tune in next time thank you bye